0: This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. Uh, Somebody asked him, what is the most important commandment? Of all the commandments that exist in all of the Bible, what's the most important one? And we've been reading this for the last several weeks. Would you read this out loud? Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus said that is the most important commandment. Of all of them, this is the most important one. And uh, so this is why I'm teaching this four-week message series that I'm calling Connect, Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And we're we're talking about how to connect with God with all of our being, not just with a song or not just with uh, some emotional response, but with everything that is within us. We're learning how to connect with God. I'm I'm so passionate about this because I really do believe that worship is the most important thing that we can involve ourselves in as human beings. In fact, there's an ancient catechism that's called the Westminster Confession. It's a curriculum that was used to train people in living the Christian life and following Jesus. And this ancient, ancient catechism says this, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. And, and so from the earliest times of, of Christian history, Christians have understood that worshiping God is that central element that makes, worth, that makes life worth living, that, that fulfills our God-given purpose in our lives. But so many people are living for all kinds of different things. And I'm just curious, if you think about the people that you rub shoulders with, what would you say people in your sphere of influence are living for? What are people living for around you? Just tell me. Yes, sir. Intellect. Are you a college student? So that's your environment. Sure. And lots of people are just massaging their brains, right? Yes. Prayer and intercession. Okay, in your world, that must be a very religious world, a very Christian world. And people are living for prayer and intercession. Okay, that's a good thing. Money. All right, you are living in a business world. Maybe. <laughs> okay, but we're aware that lots of people in this world are living for nothing more than money. That's just their whole, their sole focus. Yes, Chris. Recreation, because we live in recreation land, Right. Yes. Kimiko. Acceptance. Mm-hmm. How about sports, Monday Night Football people? Yes. Sports. Uh, what else? I think most of the people that I run into, Christians or not, are, are living for happiness. People are just living to make themselves happy. And there's nothing else more important to them than being happy. Let me ask you something a little more personal for you then. Would you evaluate your own life and answer the question silently to yourself? What are you living for? What do you give all of your time to? What do you give all of your money to? What do you prioritize higher than anything else in your life? If it's anything other than worshiping God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're living for something less than what God created you for and and that's why i believe that what we're studying these 4 weeks are so very important over the last couple of weeks i've shared this revelation and response graph with you and if you've been with us you, you understand that this is just kind of a way for us to understand worship that god reveals himself to us that we respond to god in many different ways and that intersection of where god's revelation and our response takes place that's where worship happens And it's kind of a cycle. It's like a spinning fan that just goes faster and faster and faster. And what I've been saying is once we begin to experience God's revelation and once we begin to respond to him, it's like that fan starts spinning and worship just sprays out everywhere, all over everybody. That's really what God is looking for, is people that are worshiping him like a fan that just goes faster and faster. Two weeks ago, we talked about worshiping him with our full heart, with all of our hearts. And and I shared with you how the word heart in the Bible languages is talking about choosing to worship, making the choice and using our wills to on purpose worship God. And then last week, we talked about worshiping worshiping him with our souls, which is another way of saying our emotions. We talked about bringing every emotion we could ever experience to the presence of God and turning it into worship. And tonight I want to talk about worshiping him with all our mind. Worshiping him with all of our minds. Now, like I've done the last couple of weeks, I want to start by defining that word that Jesus uses when he says, worship the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind. Let's talk about what the mind means in the Bible language. And and the New Testament is written in the Greek language, and the word for mind is right up here on the screen. It's the word dianoia. Dianoia. And this word means the ability to process information and to derive meaning and wisdom. Meaning and wisdom. Or a shorter definition might be the faculty of understanding. Now it's really important that we grasp on to the fact that when the Bible talks about the mind, it's not just talking about the organ in your head that stores information. Okay, because uh, because the mind is so much more than just a system of storing and spitting out information. A computer can do that, right? You can store endless amounts of information as long as you have a big enough hard drive. You can put all kinds of stuff—pictures and stories and data and numbers and all kinds of stuff—into your computer. It's going to store it. It's going to spit it out. It might even do calculations. But what's different between the human mind and a computer is that a human mind understands very different from a computer or a robot the human mind understands and the human mind can process information and derive meaning and wisdom and when jesus says worship the lord with your heart mind your heart soul and your mind he's talking about worshiping god in an understanding way and that word understand is key for us tonight Jesus wants us to truly understand him and understand the God that we are worshiping. Would you say to me, I understand, Pastor Russ. I understand, Pastor Russ. All right, that was very robotic, and you might just be spitting back information, but I trust that you truly do understand, right? Anybody understand? All right, don't fall asleep on me. Don't fall asleep. Understanding is the key to worshiping God with our minds. I heard a story this week about a little boy who was going to church, and he was just learning everything by rote, and he wasn't understanding everything very much, and he went to pray the Lord's Prayer, and he said, Our Father which art in heaven, herald be thy name. Okay? That's that's worshiping or praying without really understanding what you're saying, right? And all of us have been in scenarios where you just get thrown because you don't understand what's going on around you. Sometimes it happens in church. I have a problem, and I've shared this with you before. I have a problem with people who have accents. I have a very difficult time understanding people who have accents. Like if Chris and I are traveling and we go to the airport and we have to rent a car, invariably there's some Middle Eastern that, Middle Eastern person that's working the desk, right? And generally if they have that job, they speak English very well, but it's got an accent, and I can't understand that accent. So whenever we're at that counter, I always say, Chris, come over here. You've got to interpret for me because I just don't get it. And and this guy is speaking English, but I can't understand him. All right. And and so it's very difficult. Uh, a, a few years ago, Chris and I rented the movie Lawrence of Arabia. And have you seen Lawrence of Arabia? Four hours long. You young ones haven't seen it. Uh, four hours long. A few young ones have seen it. Uh, four hours long. And it's all this British, British, high British English, right? And, and Chris is just engrossed in the movie and I'm watching it just trying to discern what these people are saying, you know, and about two hours into the movie I finally said to Chris, I put it on pause and I said, okay, you're gonna have to recap the story because I'm just lost, you know, and, and it's a movie in the English language but I can't understand it. I've been to churches like that, alright, where where everything is so mysterious and mystical that, that there's no meaning, there's no understanding. And I sit in my pew and just stare and look around and people are standing up and sitting down and I don't know where, when to stand. I'm, I'm confused, I don't know the purpose. And, and, and for some people, that's all that Christianity is, is just going through the motions. But Jesus really wants us to be people who worship with our minds to the degree that we understand who and what we're worshiping. Chris and I were in Mexico a few weeks ago visiting her mom and dad and, and we went to church at their church on Sunday morning and of course they're worshiping and they're preaching in, in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. I know a few Spanish words, you know, like gracias and taco and enchilada and those kinds of things. And, and you know, we're singing these worship songs and not once did they sing enchilada in the worship song, you know. And, and so there's not much understanding. I know the word corazon, corazon, with my good rolled R's, corazon, Whatever. And um, I know that means heart. So every once in a while they'd be singing about something with heart. And and I'd see the word corazon on the screen. And is that wrong? I'm still not right. And anyway. (laughs) And so I'm trying to derive meaning from what few words on the screen that I know in the Spanish language. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like your worship is just like a foreign language? That reaching out to God is like this, this vast, mysterious, unknown thing that can't be known. I want you to know tonight that God wants you to understand him. And here's the point. If you're taking notes tonight, note cards are on your chairs. If you're taking notes, here's the point that I want you to get more than anything else tonight is this. God is not interested in mindless worship. God is not interested in mindless worship. If you're a Facebook friend, uh, I hope you'll jump into the conversation that's already started this afternoon. Uh, We've put put the question on our Facebook page, what do you understand about God and what don't you understand about God? Probably most of us, have some basis of understanding and knowledge about who God is and what his character and what his nature is. But lots of us have questions about what God is and who he is and how he works. And I hope you'll jump into that conversation. But, but tonight, I want you to know that God is not interested in mindless worship. Now, of course, in, in Christian doctrine, there are all kinds of things that are uh, hard to understand. Things like the virgin birth, Things like the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and yet they're one God, three persons, one God. That's hard for us to understand. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. We talk about walking by faith and not by sight. And, and what that means is that sometimes we take action on what we believe even before uh, there's evidence that the ground is going to be there when we step out in front of it. And, and faith is sometimes a very mysterious thing. So there's lots of mystery in Christianity, but the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians said something very interesting. He said, the mystery has now been revealed in Jesus Christ the mystery has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. And again, I want you to know, God isn't interested in mindless worship. He wants you to understand him. He wants, to un- wants you to understand everything that he's about. And he wants you to worship him with understanding. So tonight, I want to take you to a number of, of Bible verses. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can turn there to Romans chapter 12. And all of these scriptures will be up on the screen as well as we we go along. But uh, let's start in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are a couple of verses that deal with worship in particular and what happens to the mind when we're worshiping in understanding. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Paul writes this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. So he's talking about taking this flesh and and blood and offering it to God in worship. And we're going to be talking about that a little more next week when we talk about worshiping with all of our strength. But he's talking about using our bodies in worship. And then verse 2, he goes on to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world using your bodies, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is what we can, what, what we can discern from these two verses from Romans chapter 12. Worshipping with the mind pleases God and it transforms us. Worshipping with the mind pleases God and it transforms us. In other words, when we've talked the last couple of weeks about worshiping God with all of our heart, worshiping God with all of our soul, we're talking about worship that really is completely directed to God. But now when we get to worship with all of our mind, it's a very powerful thing Because not only does it please God and give God glory, but it also does something very tangibly for us. When we worship God with all of our mind, it brings transformation to the way we think and ultimately to the way we behave. Worshiping with the mind is very, very powerful. And the way that we worship with our minds is by focusing on the Word of God. A focus on the Word of God is key to understanding how to worship with the mind. Now, this is great because God has given us his word in two ways, and these are in your notes. Uh, The first way is this. God gave us his word in human language. God gave us his word in human language. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right and so when we study the bible when we study the word of god in human language we find that we're transformed because it teaches us what is right what is wrong it teaches us what is true it teaches us what is false And if we will internalize it, think about it, let it shape us, we find that we are transformed by the power of the Word of God in human language. But just giving us a book was not enough. Here's number two. God also gave gave us His Word as a human being. He also gave us His Word as a human being. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god now when you start reading that sentence you might think what he's saying is that the bible was in the beginning with god but then you realize we're talking about something different he was with god in the beginning the word was with god in the beginning who's he talking about jesus through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it jesus is the word of god made human and jesus in addition to this book jesus has the power to completely transform us when our worship is centered on him And so if we want to experience this worship that transforms us, we focus on the truth of the Bible and we center our worship on the person of Jesus Christ. And this is worship that really becomes transformational. Now, this is engaging the mind, understanding God, worshiping God with with our intellect, with our understanding, deriving wisdom, meaning, all of this kind of stuff. So many other world religions are completely dependent on emptying the mind. And this is probably why some Christian people feel also, if you're religious, you just empty your mind. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, When Chris and I were were newly married, we had the opportunity to travel to Asia, and we spent a week in Singapore, and we spent a week in Malaysia, and it was a life-transforming trip for us. And our week in Singapore was really cool. We were spending uh, time with some friends of ours who were missionaries over there. And uh, they took us all over Singapore. And we learned uh, that Singapore is a very unique city-state in the world because all of the world's major religions are all present in large numbers in Singapore. Roughly 25% of the people in Singapore are Christians. Roughly 25% of the people in Singapore are Buddhists. Another 25% are Hindu, and another 25%, approximately, are Muslim. It's one of the only places in the world where there is this even distribution of faith in one concentrated area. And so it was a unique opportunity because through the week that we were there, we went and visited all these different religious institutions around Singapore. We attended a giant Christian church, the church that our friends were a part of, I think they had somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 people in their church. And there wasn't a place that could house them all. So they had sites like we do. We have a site in Belgrade and a site in Bozeman. They had sites all over Singapore in the largest auditoriums we could find. They could find. And the one that we went to on this Sunday morning, I think there were four or 5,000 people in this huge arena, worshiping and praising God all together. It was, it was exhilarating to be with that many people all worshiping together. But then as the week went on, we went to different places. We tried to go to a Muslim mosque, and uh, they wouldn't let us in because we weren't Muslim. And that was even before 9-11, but even still, you couldn't get in. But the Buddhists and the Hindus, Hindus were very welcoming, generous people. They wanted us to come in. They wanted us to see them worship, and they were more than happy to answer our questions. And so we spent some time in both Hindu temples and also Buddhist temples. And what I wanted to share with you tonight is one of the experiences that we had in a Buddhist temple. There's, there's lots of different sects of Buddhism, and we, we visited several different Buddhist temples, but one in particular stands out to me. It was a Chinese Buddhist temple, and there were a bunch of Chinese people in this place that were worshipping and, and praying. It was obvious they were kneeling in front of the giant statue of Buddha, and they had these little cylinders with bamboo sticks in them. And each of the sticks had a little number on them and they would pray to the Buddha and they would shake these sticks and shake and shake and shake and shake and shake and, and we just couldn't figure out what was going on. It was kind of chaotic in that temple because it was so different from our manner of worship where we all come at the same time and there's somebody that leaves the singing and we all go get donuts at the same time and we all listen to a teacher at the same time. You know, we're all very structured as Christians, Right. The Buddhists, everybody comes just kind of random whenever they want to come, and they're all doing different things. There's a group over here throwing dice, and there's somebody over here shaking these sticks, and somebody's burning incense, and somebody's waving lotus flowers, and and it's just, just chaos in this place. But the sound of these people shaking the sticks was the dominant sound in this temple. We couldn't understand what in the world they were doing. So we went and asked somebody, can you explain to us what they're doing? So they explained to us. What they do is they come in and they have these sticks in the cylinder and they pray and they ask the Buddha a question. And then they begin shaking the sticks. And they're very intense in prayer and they shake the sticks until one of the sticks slips out of the cylinder and falls on the floor. And then they take that. They believe that's the answer from the Buddha. And then they go outside the temple to a fortune teller. They pay the fortune teller some money, and that fortune teller interprets what that number means, and that's the answer to their prayer. Very random, very mindless, very very chaotic, really, in their approach to worship. Uh, I, I found some video, because I want you to see some people doing this, and, and I'll just let you see this, because it's very interesting how they worship. Here's all these people here shaking the sticks. You can see how they're doing.
1: And then you can see many people
0: worshiping generations in incense and the place is throwing up with smoke from all the incense. And in this temple the Buddha is the Buddha is covered by that yellow cloth. I don't know why. Look at all the fruit. These are all offerings that they're bringing to the Buddha. This guy down here just threw some, some dice, some big dice. And then all these people with the fortune sticks. And, and you can see they're, they're very intense in their prayers. But it's all very random. They use dice to find out what Buddha's will is. And they use these sticks and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of interesting too. All, all of that fruit and the lotus flowers, those are all being brought as an offering to the Buddha and uh, one of the things that we learned while we were there was that uh, they love to bring oranges to the Buddha. Chris reminded me this afternoon, it's because oranges represent long life. And so people would, would bring lots of oranges, hoping to get long life from the Buddha. And uh, one of the temples we went to, they had big two-liter bottles of orange Fanta soda pop. Uh, on the, And I have a picture of that. I just thought that was kind of comical, that the Buddha likes orange Fanta pop. You know, I... I like root beer, but, you know, I guess it doesn't bring me long life. But, but at any rate, it, it just seems kind of mindless, doesn't it, to just depend on a random stick falling out of a cylinder to figure out what Buddha's will is for you. I found another short video, uh, and I wanted you to see this lady. She's, she's praying to the Buddha, and, and look what happens with her stick. I don't think she's going to get the answer she was looking for there. <laughs> but here's, here's, what, here's what Buddhism believes. To boil this all down, Buddhism teaches their followers that, that everyone is on a path to nirvana. You've probably heard that term. Everybody's on the path to nirvana. And the word nirvana in the English language means extinguishing. And what Buddhism is seeking to do is to extinguish your mind. The ultimate goal in Buddhism is that your mind will just be completely extinguished, come to nothingness. And in general, Buddhism is is, uh, very preoccupied with emptying the mind, whereas Christianity has the goal of filling the mind. God is not interested in mindless worship He's very interested in worshiping uh, with understanding, with wisdom, with knowledge of who he is. I want to ask Amy to come and share uh, some of her experiences with us tonight. Um, many of you know Amy. Give Amy a good woop woop. <laughs> While we were on vacation, Chris and I... Uh, did quite a lot of reading, and and I love vacations because I read things that I don't have to read. I just read for entertainment. And I I took a book on my vacation that was by the author John Krakow. John Krakow writes a lot of investigative stuff. Have you read any of his books, anybody? Uh, And and I I read his book that's called Under the Banner of Heaven. It's a really disturbing book about uh, fundamentalists of, of, of a certain sect that practice polygamy, and there's been all kinds of murder and, and uh, violence and different things in this sect. And, and, and a really disturbing book chronicling the abuse of young women and all kinds of stuff. And so Amy and I were comparing notes when we got home and talking about this book because you've read it also. Correct. And uh, Amy has come out of a cult that claims to be a Christian group, but they have seriously deviated away. From the truth of historic Christianity. And so I was really curious to learn about some of Amy's uh, experiences after I had read this book. And, uh, and, and Amy, tell us a little bit about your experiences in seminary in particular when you were growing up as a, as a teenager.
1: Um, my, the first experience that I remember um, was I was in middle school. And um, there was a young man in, in class with me, and he they were teaching about something, and he had a bunch of questions, and so he was asking questions of the teacher and The teacher promptly you know indicated to him that he was not to ask any questions. there were to be no questions asked, and if he continued, he would be asked to leave, and you know would be turned over to the church leadership and So I remember going home um, and speaking with my grandfather, and I was like. You know, I don't understand either, and I don't understand why we can't ask them questions. And my grandfather, I'll never forget, he said to me, it's not for you to ask questions. It's not for you to understand. It's just for you to do. Just just obey.
0: It's not for you to ask questions. It's not for you to understand. It's just for you to do. Yes. Okay?
1: Yes. So, and how um, did
0: that go over with you?
1: Well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit of a rebel. Um a little so, bit? Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't go over well. And I, I really struggled through my early teens um, just with being compliant and um, just taking things at face value. And as I got a little older, I went through four years of seminary um, as part of this organization. And um, in my senior year, I had a really good friend who came to me and said, you know, you belong to a cult. And I was like... I what are you talking about? That's it's, it's preposterous and so we began he was a very good friend and we began to di- dialogue about why he was saying that and and what that meant and so I began to have a lot of questions um, even more than I'd had before and it was really very difficult Time for me, it was very, it was frowned upon heavily, and I was told multiple times, you know, you, you do not get to ask these questions. They, what kinds of just, questions were you asking? Um, for example, one of the things that they taught was they didn't really teach the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't understand. It's like right here in the Bible. And, and their doctrine was contrary to that. And so they could never tell me. It was just like, that's just, we believe something else, and that's, this is the truth, and the Bible just, it isn't translated correctly. And so that was their big thing. If, if it's not translated correctly, then, then you, that's wrong, and we're right. Um, Another thing they taught was polygamy marriage, and while they don't practice it, um, they do believe that it will be practiced in the afterlife. And my friend would point out scriptures to me, and, and I'm like, well, w- wait a minute. Like, it, it says pretty clearly that we're not going to be married or marry, and I don't, I don't understand what that has to do with heaven. And so just questions like that where it was just like, you will not question this, and if you continue to question it, you will come under discipline and that discipline involved anything from not being allowed to take the sacrament which is their form of communion, um, not being allowed to be involved in activities, not being allowed to do certain rites within the church which you are mandated to do in order to be a member in good standing. Um, And so
0: they really suppressed any kind of seeking for truth or seeking for understanding. What do you think the motivation for refusing to answer questions was?
1: Um, they just want you to comply. They, they want you to just be what they want you to be. They don't want you to, you know, if you read the Bible, you're only allowed to read it. Um, and if you interpreted it yourself, you know, there was just no, there was no room for the Holy Spirit to, to bring meaning to you. And I think really the meaning, the purpose behind it was control. They wanted to have control um, and wanted you to just fall in line. Mm-hmm.
0: This is so contrary to the life of Jesus, who wants us more than anything else to understand who God is and to worship Him with all of our mind. Amy, thank you, thank you so much. Give it up for Amy, would you? God is not interested in mindless worship. One more story before I give you some some next steps tonight. In the New Testament. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was planted in a city that was extraordinarily pagan. And uh, this city, if you study the history of the city of Corinth, you'll find that this city loved to worship idols. And one of the idols that the people in the city would worship would, uh, would, would take them outside of the cities and they would feast and they would drink. And it was a very... Uh, what's what's the word? Um, uh, the word isn't coming to me. But they like to satisfy all their all their fleshly desires. So gluttonous. I'm sorry. Carnal is a good word. I'm thinking of like the word debauchery or bacchanalia. That's a good word. Since the Bacchus pub is right downstairs. <laughs> And and so uh, in their worship of this particular goddess, they would go outside the city and they they would eat until they were sick and they would drink until they were drunk and they would dance. And the historical record describes the dancing and this worship of, the, of this false god. They would spin and they would dance and they'd get just completely wasted on alcohol. And I don't know if they were using any other kind of mind-controlling substances, but they would work themselves up into a frenzy and they would fall into trances. And, and history tells us that they would begin just babbling in unintelligible uh, communications of some sort once they fell into this trance. This was the historical background of Corinth. When the missionaries came and they brought the gospel to people in Corinth, people became Christians and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they began to worship Jesus and some of those old influences began to creep into the church. In First Corinthians chapter 12, we read Paul correcting them because they would come to church And they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is like our communion. But there would be quite a feast prepared for all the Christians to share. Some of them would come early and eat all the food and get drunk on the wine. Because that is what they equated worship as. And then they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so speaking in tongues was something that they'd experienced. And they equated that with the worship of their pagan god. And so in their worship services, everyone would just start babbling in unknown tongues. And it just became chaotic and confusing. And Paul wrote to this church and he said to them, you know, I don't want to forbid you from speaking in tongues because it's a good thing, but it needs to be orderly. Tongues needs to be interpreted so everybody can understand and be edified and and built up. It's, It's a good thing, but it needs to be in order. And his priority, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is that everybody in the church service can understand Why? Because Paul knows that if we're going to worship with our minds, that it's got to be understandable because God is not interested in mindless worship. In in verse 15 of chapter 14, Paul says this, Well, then what shall I do? He says, I will pray in the Spirit, or I will pray in this heavenly language, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand understand he's saying that not only uh ecstatic kinds of experiences are valuable in our worship but more importantly it's 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 valuable that we understand what is happening who god is and how we are interacting with him so with all of this being said what do we do with all of this romans 12 2 says be transformed by the renewing of your mind and i i want to give you two next steps And on your cards, I left you a little bit of space there if you want to jot down some extra notes other than what's up on the screen. Uh, But there's two ways that I want to suggest that you renew your mind. The first one is this. Renew your mind by understanding the Bible. Renew your mind by understanding the Bible. Now, lots of people, in my experience as a pastor, lots of people pick up their bibles and they try to read it and they can't understand it all right i want to encourage you tonight to begin working hard at understanding what this book says and the first step in doing that is to read out of a translation that you can understand Uh, lots of people love the king james bible and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the king james bible but it was written it was translated from the original languages 500 years ago, it uses Shakespearean English, and it's very difficult to understand. I talked with Victoria this week, and, and she shared with me that she loves to read the King James Bible. And good on you, Vic. I'm, you're smarter than me. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But if you can't understand Shakespearean English, then pick up a Bible that is a more modern translation that's easier to understand. I recommend the New International Version, the NIV. Great translation. Uh, Probably the easiest to understand is the New Living Translation. That's one that I use quite often, NLT. And then another one that I think is excellent is the English Standard Version, or ESV. The English Standard Version is probably the most difficult modern translation because it's a word-for-word translation. It's very accurate and precise, but maybe not as easy to understand, but I use that a lot. There's great online resources. And if you haven't yet started using Bible study resources online, I strongly encourage you to use them. uversion.com, that's Y-O-U, versioncom has all kinds of uh, Bible versions. You can search for stuff. If you don't know where a verse is in the Bible, you can search for keywords. It's a great resource. I use it all the time. Uh, Uversion also has... Uh, Bible Study Guides, it gives you devotional reading guides. Chris and I use it on my BlackBerry. And when we go to bed at night, uh, most nights we will read together a portion of the Bible based upon our Bible Study Guides on YouVersion.com. Great resource. Bible Gateway is another great one that lots of people use. I just discovered, Shoni introduced it to me, uh, blueletterbible.org. blueletterbible.org. This is a great resource if you want to do serious Bible study because it's got Bible dictionaries and concordances and lexicons. You just click on a word, it gives you the original language meaning. It links to all kinds of stuff for serious, in-depth Bible study. It's a great way to get to know your Bible. So I, I want to encourage you to use some of those resources and read a translation you can understand. But listen, I also understand that our culture is changing And because we are such a media-saturated culture, lots of people don't like to read. I talk to people all the time and I say, have have you read this book? And they say, Pastor Russ, I don't read. (laughs) So what I want to encourage you to do is if you don't read, if that's not something that, that helps you to understand the Bible, then listen to the Bible. You can download podcasts of the entire Bible. Go to iTunes and search for Bible podcast. And you will find some that you can trans, you can you can download, load it onto your, your mobile phone or onto your iPod. Uh, Chris and I have a friend that lives in Connecticut. He commutes on a bus, forty five minutes every day to his work. He throws on his headphones. He listens to the Bible every day for forty five minutes on his way to work. Great way to get the Bible into your head and into your heart. Uh, there's there's other things like the Bible Experience is available available on CD. It's dramatized Bible. Uh, All kinds of actors like Denzel Washington and Cuba Gooding Jr. and other big stars have all contributed to reading the Bible and they've recorded it on CD so you can listen to it in a really entertaining, interesting way. The Bible Experience is what that's called. There's also a product I just learned about this week called the Visual Bible. There's only a couple of Gospels and I think the Book of Acts, but it's Video Bible Uh, And it goes verse by verse through the Bible. It reads the, the exact NIV translation, and it's all acted out in video. So these are all ways that you can get the Word of God into your mind, into your spirit, and let it transform you. Start by letting the Word of God become understandable to you. Here's number two. You can renew your mind, secondly, by understanding Jesus. Understanding Jesus. I want to encourage you to read the Gospels. Uh, again, um, not to overglorify Victoria, but uh, it was just a really significant conversation we had on Friday. She shared with me that she just felt like she needed to read through the Gospels. And so she's been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And there's no better way to get to know Jesus than to read his biographies, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the biographies of Jesus. And on Friday, Vic shared with me that she had walked slowly through the book of Matthew... But she felt like she needed to get a good overview, so she read the whole book of Matthew in one sitting. What a smart thing to do. What a great way to understand Jesus. Read the Gospels. Meditate on the Gospels. Let the Scripture sink down deep in you. Study them. And then the other way that you can really uh, renew your mind through understanding Jesus is to spend time praying. I absolutely believe that when we pray, Jesus doesn't just hear us, But he becomes present with us, and he answers us. He meets us where we are. Remember that verse that I read from Zephaniah uh, just at the end of the worship service? God says, I am here with you. One of Jesus' names was Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when we spend time in prayer, we are getting to understand, getting to know Jesus. We're worshiping with our mind. So all of these things are ways that we can renew our minds. We can worship the Lord, heart, soul, and mind. Next week, we're going to talk about worshiping the Lord with all of our strength. And we'll wrap up this series just before Thanksgiving. Everybody got Thanksgiving plans? All right, one person. All right, well, I don't know what the rest of you are going to do. Let's worship together. The band's coming. Uh, Would you put your things aside? I love this song that John's going to lead us in. Uh, tonight. It just leads us to Jesus, and, and I hope that you will sing it from the depths of your heart. Let's stand together.